When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Everything is Black and White podcast brought to you by Chronicle Live and sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, bringing you the latest insight into everything to do with Newcastle United. Find us on iTunes, Spotify or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and today joined by our football editor Mark Douglas. It is the day after Newcastle United's dramatic 3-2 win against Oxford United in the FA Cup replay. They're into the fifth round but it required a lot of hard work against a very well-organised League One side. Mark, um, at half-time, 2-0 up, in control. If someone had said to you they're going to throw this away and we're going to have to go at extra time, what would you have said? Well, I mean, you're always a bit worried about that eventuality because obviously the same thing happened at Rochdale in the third round. Um, they were totally in control and looked, and that was a very impressive first 45 minutes at Rochdale um, when they really made short work of, of Rochdale and then fell away a little bit in the second half. And I suppose there's a few things, isn't there? There's obviously the failings of the, the team to sort of see out the game, um, you know, the resources that they've got. Maybe they're, they're not quite capable of sort of staying on the front foot as much as they should. But then there's also the the, the added factor of, you know, the FA Cup. Um, Oxford are a decent team, aren't they? They um, they were always going to have a, some moments of some moments of pressure and it was really, you know, on Newcastle to kind of keep them out. And, and when they didn't do that and when they gave away, the you know, they kept giving away free kicks and corners around that period because I think they'd, they'd had two or three free kicks just before Liam Kelly's brilliant free kick. Um, so... You kind of felt that that half was, yeah, it was touch and go. And as soon as they scored, it was only six minutes to go, wasn't it? Or five, six minutes to go. At that point, it was always like, oh, this is going to be difficult because the momentum of the game was going away from them. And I think fair play to Newcastle again for seeing it out in the end because I think the first half of extra time was a lot of risk for Newcastle in there. The second half of extra time, they were the, definitely the dominant team and they came back into it. And absolute wonder goal from Alan Sir Maximum. So it's just typical of the season, isn't it, really? A lot to trouble you in there, bits to encourage you, but they found a way to do it. And um, it's so difficult to analyse, isn't it? Because we know there's so much of what we're seeing isn't, you know, isn't necessarily to celebrate, but they're getting the job done. And that is to celebrate. And the one thing that shone through yet again is that effort, that commitment, that drive, that team spirit. We saw it last year under the previous manager and we've seen it in abundance this year again. Yes, it's not pretty to watch, but um, you can't really measure just how important that effort, that commitment is. Yeah, I mean, there's been so much noise, hasn't there, since the Norwich game. I mean, I was actually surprised at how much debate there's been. And I think, you know, about the direction the team's been, the way the team's been playing and, you know, Steve Bruce in particular, a lot of, you know, a lot of stick coming his way and a lot of stick coming the team's way um, and after the Norwich game but uh, and one of the articles that I read said that you know 
you can you can measure the imperceptibles, things like team spirit, and it was almost like, oh well, that's one of these things. But it's a big, big factor. It's a big, big factor. You can't tell me that look, Liverpool are the best team in the world at the moment. But their teams, you know, but there's but Manchester City are a fantastic team as well. But the team spirit and the togetherness at Liverpool at the moment is you can see the difference that's making in the league. And you can see the difference it's making in the league at the moment. Newcastle United having that that imperceptible team spirit. And I think fostering that is part of management. I'm not saying it's the be all and end all. You, you, you're going to run out of luck at some point. But having a management that fosters that is something that to, to, to acknowledge at least. Um, and having a group that, 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 that has been built with that. You know, first of all, fair play to Rafa Benitez for bringing in those characters. Secondly, fair play to Steve Bruce for, um, you know, encouraging that as well. Because if they didn't believe in what he was doing, they wouldn't be fighting to the end as well. And and um, I think we've seen that in the last two games. You know, then they had to dig in on Saturday, actually. It was awful and it was painful to watch at times yesterday as well. But hey, you know, like you said, the spirit is massive. We've been saying for a long while, as has a lot of the press room, that this luck's going to run out. You can't keep sustaining these results playing this way. And yet, nearly with every game that goes by, um, especially over the last seven weeks or so, yes, a few draws against Rochdale and Oxford, but they are proving everyone wrong. Yeah, I mean, everybody's saying, uh, you know, well, not everybody's saying, but there's that stat going around, isn't there? There are eight games unbeaten, but it, I think it's one of the worst unbeaten runs I've ever known at Newcastle United. It encompasses two draws against League One teams, a nil-nil against Norwich, you know, some uh, uh, some sketchy sketchy draw against Everton and and it doesn't feel like they it makes sense but you know at times you just have to stop you have to stop sort of thinking too much about the bigger picture and concentrate on the results because I'll tell you if they were playing really well but not picking up the points people would be asking questions as well so you know it's just one of those seasons I, I think we're into a key period when we come back from the winter break because Actually, funnily enough, a lot of people will look at Arsenal and think, I don't fancy that one much. Concentrate on the Burnley game as a must-win. But actually, I think the way they're playing, I'm worried about this run of games where they should pick up points. They've got Burnley coming up, haven't they? They've got Southampton. They've got games they should win at home. I'm worried about those games because I didn't see on Saturday any evidence of... And my concern with where they are at the moment is I don't see evidence of them having a plan to win the games they should at home. Now... I don't particularly like comparing and contrasting to last season too much. But if you're going to say that Steve Bruce is, come, is doing better in terms of points and FA Cup progress than Rafa Benitez, you then also have to accept that this was about the time last season when Newcastle started turning the screw on teams around them. They had that fantastic win against Huddersfield where they, they obliterated them, basically. And Rafa had a plan to beat the teams that were you know, man-for-man inferior than them. Newcastle on Saturday were outplayed by a team that man-for-man, I think, is inferior to them. Uh, And that troubled me a bit. Um, They weren't outplayed last night. You know, I know there was a lot of gnashing and wailing and it went very, very all over the shop in the second half. But they weren't outplayed last night. You know, they deserved the win, I think, over the course of the 120 minutes. Um, And let's hope that they just get the players back. Bruce can work on a few plans to get to get things a bit bit more moving forward, and that they come with it. They come against Burnley with a plan to, um, you know, unlock them. They'll have had the new guys in for a while by then, so there's every chance. Let's talk about that tweaking formation that we saw yesterday. Um, Alan Shearer mentioned it before the game. We were lots of debate on on how they would set up, but it did turn out that Sean Longstaff was playing in a 
more number 10 role than we've been used to seeing him. And he, and he played very well. He's his best game for a long while. Um, do you think that's the way forward from now on? Will Steve Bruce adopt that tiny little change, really? Yeah. Um, but it did seem to pay... Dividend. Well, it would be good to see to see him try that against um, some of the, the, the teams that they're playing who they, sh- they they could be. You know, it doesn't have to be Longstaff and number ten. They've got other players who can play there. Um, you know, the, 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 I mean, I don't know whether you could push Bentaleb forward. Um, you know, you could obviously put Almiron in there. He has played number ten before. You could Mutu could possibly play there even. Um, you know, there are options, and I think that's. I think they're justifiable kind of question marks from Newcastle fans about what Steve Bruce said about we we can't play any other way. I think then last night he showed that they can play another way. Um, it's whether he will take that risk because, you know, he said on Saturday in the press conference, didn't he, after when I tried to play differently against Leicester, when I tried to play differently, um, I'm trying to think who else they tried it against um, when they got beaten badly. Leicester was one, obviously the one that everybody remembers. Um, that has been that has been the problem. So, I think it would be good to see that you know they're going to have to try something different against the, the teams, your Burnleys and Southamptons of this world, because you know they've already played against Burnley once, and it was you know they they, they couldn't find a way through, and it'll be even worse at home. Um, so they, they need to they need to try something different, and and I, and I think Bruce has got that within him to do it, um, and that is maybe where the biggest question mark is about him. Has he got that tactical kind of? acumen that Rafa had um, where you you felt confident there would be a different plan um, well now's the time now's the time to prove it let's just stick with those quotes that you mentioned there because a lot of people are saying well actually you know he's got a week with him on the training pitch and it's been a long time since that Leicester game so if he's wanted to change to a front which he said why hasn't he done that in that that, that long uh, well what's it been it been quite a few months since that game so why hasn't he been working on that repeatedly um, and do you think he saw enough in that formation yesterday to adopt it full-time? Because Oxford did um, get in and have a few chances. And if that's against the Premier League side, you're saying, well, you know, maybe they'll concede two or three goals where Oxford didn't take their chances. Yeah, but I mean, Burnley haven't necessarily... I mean, maybe Southampton's a different one because they, they do have a bit bit of um, attacking. You know, they, they do have an attacking Arsenal um, there. But I mean, Burnley, you know, I look at that one and, and I think, you know, they're not going to... They're not going to swarm on Newcastle, are they? In uh, in, in three weeks' time, they're, they're, that's not how they're going to play. So, so are they going to be more? Are they going to necessarily carry more danger than than Oxford? I mean, they've got better players, but not necessarily. You know, it's. I mean, Rafa used to talk about the short blanket, didn't he? You pull away your attacking um, options, and you you kind of then expose yourself at, um, defensively, and and that's that's the debate, isn't it? That's what they, the managers get paid the money for. Um, I think he's just been. Look, I think Steve Bruce is probably looking at it. He probably has had a uh, you know a dip at different things. There's been little tactical tweaks. There's been tweaks during the game. I think sometimes as well. But I think he'll be looking at it and thinking, look, it might not be working performance wise, but points wise, we're on 31. We're 12th in the league. We were 10th on Saturday, and he'll just be thinking, until we get safe, is there any point in mixing it too much? Because he doesn't think that the team yet can change that way now I think the risk that he runs is that you know he at the moment I think has probably maybe not on social media but I think amongst the general Newcastle fans it's kind of a grudging acceptance that you know look survival is the be all and end all this season while we've got the FA Cup it's fair enough but the more and more bad performances like Saturday that you see 
I think there'll be more and more anger from, you know, the fan, fans will go so far. Fans will be accepting. I mean, I see it with my own team, you know, they've just sacked their manager. Um, Bradford City, by the way. Um, you know, I, I, you, you, you are happy to accept bad performances and functional stuff if you're winning the games. When you're not winning the matches, it then you just you, you open yourself to all, all kinds of stick. And I think that's the that's the dilemma that Steve Bruce has at the moment. The positive that he's got is that the hierarchy are delighted with, with how it's going. You know, they will be, you know, really in, in a feeling of like this is, you know, this is going better than we thought it was going to do. Um, and he'll get that time. Um, it's going to be longer term whether he's got the tools and when he's going to get the players he needs to change things. But I, I think until they get safe, I, I don't see. I think he might do little tweaks, but I, I think he might go safety first because that's that's the name of the game this season. He's in a difficult position, isn't he, Steve Bruce, especially on social media because when he said those comments over the weekend or not having the players, um, to, to, or the players can't really handle that change in formation, if he does change it and they get beat 3-0 off Burnley, then it'll no doubt be Steve Bruce's fault. And then if he comes out and says, well, I did say that, there'll be more fallout over mm-hmm. that. Last night, he took Bentelab off and, and people got on his back saying, Bentelab hasn't missed a penalty in his career. And you think, well, Bentelab's only played, what, three three games first in football? He's been out for a long while. He's probably knackered. He don't want to risk it. And if he gives the ball away when he's knackered, it'll be Steve Bruce's fault for not mm. taking him off. It's a difficult position to be in because whatever he does, he doesn't seem, at least on social media, to get any plaudits. Yeah, social media is a difficult one, isn't it? Because because um, people are live tweeting the game, and 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 I think you're you're pouring all your emotions out and into into social media while you're watching the match. If you're if you're watching it through the through the medium of Twitter, and and so what you get is when things are going badly, it's you know everything is terrible. Then. If they win the game, then you get a period of like a lot of people saying, oh, well, it's not so bad. And and that is the nature of social media. I think there's a hardcore 10, 20, 30% of the Newcastle United Twitter who just won't have Steve Bruce at all. Um, but, you know, again, they, they adopt that persona on Twitter. But are they that way in real life? I don't know. You know, you, you, Twitter's a funny and crazy place. And, I, and I, you know, I th- I've just looked at it over the last three or four days and just... You know, it, it's gone a bit over the top. I mean, my friend Luke Edwards is getting a lot of stick, and I think I feel I feel for Luke because because I think he's making some good points, but he, they're unpopular points. And I know from I know from knowing Luke, he doesn't really care about that. You know, he's, he's he doesn't really care. But and I think he's got painted with the brush of Steve Bruce. But sometimes he's playing devil's advocate. And I think sometimes he's he's got some good points in that. You know, look. Nobody. There's there's some people on there who will not give Steve Bruce the time of day, and it's like, okay, well, let's have the same. And I think his point is sometimes, well, let's apply the same principles that you're applying to Steve Bruce to the next man and the previous man, and you know, and I'm not saying Steve Bruce is a, is not as good a manager as Rafa Benitez, and, and and I'm sorry, but that, that's my opinion. Um, and Newcastle would have, you know. Would always have been better, I think, with, with Rafa Benitez here. I'm sorry, that's my opinion as well. I can't, I can't take away from that. But I was getting people saying to me, like you're saying, Steve Bruce is doing a good job. What are you talking about? It's this, but and then and then you know and then people were going, well, it shows how low the expectations have gone. It's like, and it's just somewhere you can just belch out all of your 
anger at the state of the football club and it, it just becomes toxic at times and, and you know it's also an absolutely brilliant place and a great sounding board and you meet some fantastic people on there and speak to some great people and everybody wants the same thing don't they on there everybody wants a great Newcastle United that they can unconditionally love and I think the problem is that a lot of people don't feel that at the way at, at the moment and anybody sticking up for Newcastle United in the in the minds of about 10 20 30 percent just don't want to just don't just don't want to have it um, but it means that you're getting people on there sometimes and they probably are happy that Newcastle are doing well but their Twitter persona is no I'm not happy because I don't want you as the regional journalist to be happy or to try and make out that things are good when they're not and it's very difficult to operate in that in that sphere um, we find it with our coverage and stuff it's very difficult to operate we'll you know, but I'll get involved in that because I, I quite, you know, I quite think it's a good, good, it's a good, useful place. But it, it's not indicative of how people think, mm. and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to get any sense out of it sometimes. Well, I mean, Luke was the one who asked the first question after Norwich, and he highlighted the, the, the bad performances. So there you go. He did, yeah. And that's the thing about Luke. You know, that's the thing about Luke is is that I think, you know, look, don't take Twitter too seriously. He, believe me, he is asking. The questions about Newcastle United. I mean, he wrote that story the other week, didn't he, about the calendar? Um, and you know, if he was in the club's pocket, and believe me, he's not in the club's pocket. He's been banned more times by Newcastle United under Mike Ashley's ownership than anybody else, you know. And and now he's been seen as the problem because it's Steve. But if Steve Bruce was not working out, I know Luke, and I know he's got integrity, and he's you know, and I know he tells. He tells it how it is and he doesn't sometimes, sometimes he doesn't do that because he's going to be popular. He does it because it's what he thinks. He's going to love this episode, isn't he? Hey, look, <laughs> he's not, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like he, he's a mate, but I've disagreed with him on a lot of things over the years. And um, I don't agree with everything he says about Steve Bruce, but I think that people are looking for somebody to to kind of pin the idea that all the press are flunkies and none of us ask the difficult questions. Um, and it's just not true. You know, the press conferences are very back and forth at the moment with, with Steve, especially over the stuff about style. Mm. Um, but well, that's that, the way it is. That was one of the, the questions, just sticking with the coverage final question. That was one of the things that was asked a few days ago about why aren't you asking the hard questions? And I think a lot of journalists were tagged in the tweet. Um, but I mean, a lot goes on in the, in the, in the and the uh, you know the the press presser that you don't really see and you know and it's stuff like that and uh, but the tough questions are getting asked it's 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 people don't necessarily like the answers yeah I mean what I'd I'd quite like to sort of see uh, to, for some of those people to come in and see a press conference because the way that press conference works the reason it's been set up by the club is for us to ask. It's for, to basically for the manager to be asked the questions so that he can give the information um, out to the wider fan base, really, you know? So the questions are when people ask, why didn't you ask about why didn't he sign a striker? And the question was asked, so therefore there's the information there. And then he was challenged on a couple of those points. Um, but as a journalist, you're not in there. It's not, you're not in there to, it's not a trial, you know? It's not, you're not in there to, pin him and sort of as a gotcha moment you're in there to ask the question so he'll say I don't see anybody better out there and then the follow up question was well what about 
Chenk Tosin, who you did get the option to buy. And his answer is, well, I don't think he was better than what we have. And then we said, well, he scored X amount of goals. Are you sure about that? Yes, that's my opinion, was Steve Steve Bruce's feelings. Same with Jared Bowen. Why didn't you sign Jared Bowen? Now, we don't think he's gone on the record with that necessarily. But his answer is, I don't see he's better than what we've got. So that's his judgment call. What do you want us as journalists? I think probably nine-tenths of us have written either on Twitter or in a, in opinion pieces that they should sign Jared Bowen. And if they don't score enough goals and end up going down, sure as sure as you like, we'll all write, that was where it was lost, that, that, that reason of not signing him. But as journalists, what do you want us to do? I've seen people suggesting, well, why are you not pinning him down on it? But he is being pinned down on it. But then the article that comes out of that is, I'm Steve Bruce, here's why I didn't sign a striker. And he will live or die by that decision. But as a journalist, I think sometimes people think that we should be pressurising the club into signing a striker by writing a lot of pieces saying or, or, or making it really uncomfortable for them when they say they don't sign a striker. But it's just not how it works. It, it, that is not a role of, a, of the journalist in a press conference. Um, and, you know, we have people here on work experience, sometimes a lot of fans, and they maybe go away seeing a different side of it. Um, sometimes those press conferences get hostile um, they don't really generally because you, you, look we're all human beings at the end of the day as well uh, uh, you know having a cordial relationship is not a bad thing you ask the difficult questions with Alan Pardew it got extremely testy at times even with Rafa it got testy at times you know because you, they don't like being asked really difficult questions and they don't like being asked follow up questions when they have given their opinion I mean with Lee Charney last Last season, we went up to a, an accounts briefing and um, we obviously produced a lot of content afterwards. And I know the, the same suspects were saying, you're not asking the difficult questions, but believe me, I've got, you know, I haven't got it on tape because it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't for recording, but I've got, I can, I can remember from my notes, there was 20 minutes spent, me, Chris Woff and Lee Ryder, 20 minutes on the subject of Salomon Rondon, just talking about it to try and find out what was going on. And and there was a kind of like point where, because Lee Charney is, you know, I think he's very open generally about these things. He doesn't always want to be quoted um, because for understandable reasons, sometimes it doesn't make sense. But on the Rondon thing, it was basically us saying, why aren't you signing one? And he was, well, what do you think? These are, the, these are the conditions. And it was like, no, I still think you should sign him. Well, that's just not the decision we're going to take. What do you do in that circumstances? You're just like, yeah, that's their decision. And if they get relegated this year because they've lost Rondon's goals, well, then you come back to it. But actually, at the moment, they're 12th in the league. You know, you, you, that that's the role of the journalist, isn't it? It's the role, our role is to, to analyse, to ask questions, sometimes to pressurise. But that, that press conference, and that's why I don't really think sometimes people understand when you say ask the tough questions. It's like, we get asked the tough questions, but what difference do you think it's going to make to the decision making if we put if we're asking tough questions? Eventually, over time, it might put pressure on. But Mike, uh, Steve Bruce wasn't going to come into a press conference, listen to somebody from the Independent or the Times asking him why haven't you signed a striker, and go away thinking, "Well, he's asked me five questions on it. I better go and sign a striker now." It's just, it's just not how it works. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. It's sponsored by Hodgson Motor Group, the Northeast number one family-owned Toyota, Mazda, 
and to Zagreed Dealership Group. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast through wherever you get your podcasts from. But sticking with the striker role, you had Joel Linton up top last night. He scored. Probably had another when he put Ben Lads cross wide. He then comes off injured. Thankfully, there's no, no games for a couple of weeks. But one thing that just stood out was the lack of options. Now, yes, Steve Bruce is, has referred to Muto, referred to Gal, uh, Carol, referred to Gale coming back in the next few weeks. Um, part of me thinks that's obviously that's brilliant news. It would be better if they were banging the girls before they got injured. Mm. And it stood out last night that you actually had... I don't know who you had up front, actually, after after Julian went off, because it seemed to be sometimes it was Almiron, sometimes it was St. Maximum drifting in. It just seemed like they didn't... No one quite knew where who was who was the target man. Was it Sean Longstaff in the end? I think yeah, was, you know, was pushed up up front, wasn't he? Which was the same at Everton, um, which which is pathetic, really, isn't it? I mean, that the, the Premier League squad has, to, as of this morning, no fit strikers is is really poor. Now, the gamble that Steve Bruce has taken is that we've got five or we've got four. Strikers, um, obviously Sorensen's there as well. I don't think he rates Sorensen as a Premier League player, so uh, maybe doesn't exist. Maybe doesn't isn't part of it. But they've got those strikers. His gamble is they'll be fit at certain points. If I don't, the money I don't spend now, I can spend in the summer. That's the gamble he's made. That's the gamble he'll eventually he'll effectively live or die by. Now, if they'd have gone out last night because they hadn't have signed it, because they didn't have anybody else, I mean, it wouldn't have made any difference anyway, would it, if they've signed somebody in the last week because they wouldn't have been able to play in this game anyway. Um, but that's a gamble. It's a big gamble, but it's the one that they've decided to take. And, you know, it's a judgment call. Uh, and that's the top and bottom of it. Would I have signed a striker? Yeah, possibly. I would have, you know, I would have maybe looked at St. Tossen and thought, yeah, fair enough. They've got Carroll. Now, he's mentioned Carroll, Gale and Mutu. Now, Carroll is not going to play consecutive games. He's now only played once since Christmas. You know, it's not looking great as in terms of his being able to play. It's, it's, he's, got, he's playing less and less games towards the end of the season. So that's something they've got to think about next season. Uh, Mutu, never really shown it at Premier League standard. Gale, I thought, starting to look a little bit better, wasn't he? Starting to get his fitness back. But again, it always takes him a while to come back from these from these kind of injuries. You probably need a tweaking formation to suit them to anyway. So yeah. it goes they'll back need Jolinton to get fit. Basically, yeah. it is going to be a, it is going to be an issue. I think you know they have to. It is a gamble. It's a massive gamble because they're not safe yet. They're not safe yet. And of course, goals get you points. Um, Lascelles had a, had a very good game. He was picked out for praise by uh, the match of the day team. Uh, Mighty Longstaff, another one that stood out. But good to see Lascelles. Obviously, he had that injury, and he, and, um, he, well, he was good yesterday. Good clearance off the line, took a whack to the yeah. to the face for it, got back up, and then yeah. uh, you know, just that he's just that captain, isn't he? And he, yeah. he, it's really important to have a character like that. Yeah, he's probably not the best of the defenders they've got, um, but he he is crucial. Um, I, it was really good to see Kieran Clark as well. I mean, you know, he's he, I know he, he obviously he obviously came on. I, I think he's you know. You had Lejeune, Cher as well in there. They've got a decent crop of defenders. Lascelles is, is underrated. He gets a lot of the blame when things don't go right. But I, I think they, they missed him when he wasn't there. I think they're missing Shelby at the moment. Really missing Shelby. Because um, he was playing quite well and he's key to what they do. Um, so they were, they've missed him. 
Um, and generally speaking, you've got to remember this is a team that's missing a few key players at the moment. Um, and and they've, they've, you know, they've suffered for that because Shel- when they had Shelby and Carroll um, and, you know, and even Dummett as well, then they looked, they looked better, didn't they? They looked better. One thing I do wish Lascelles would stop doing is sticking his hand up in the air and looking for the lines. I mean, did it last night, next time did it against Norwich. And it's just like, yeah. you're going to get caught out eventually. Um, you mentioned Shelby there. It's interesting because, you know, he's the only kind of centre midfielder there waiting to get fit. They, Steve Bruce has got a lot of options in, in the centre of the park and you can make an argument for any one of them to start Hayden, Shelby, both long staffs and Bentaleb, who was for many people man of the match yesterday. Um, he kind of bossed the midfield, yes, against Oxford, no disrespect. But if we if we look forward to that Arsenal game and you have everyone back fit for you, who who starts in the middle? Um, well, I think you've got Ben Taleb in there. Shelby was there. I'd definitely have Shelby and, and probably Hayden as well um, with Matty Longstaff and Sean Longstaff knocking on the door. Um, but those would, be, those would be my three. I think, you know, I know Hayden's probably not had quite as good a season as he did last year, but it, it, it's about a mix. It's about a blend in there, I think, sometimes. And and sometimes the, the, the mix has been a little bit wrong since, um, since sort of the first Oxford game. Um, they maybe just haven't got that that driving presence that they need. But, you know, they've got a lot of players in there. They've got a lot of players who are, who are you know, similar, actually, in some ways. They, they maybe not got that, maybe not got that kind of driving box-to-box midfielder that they need. Hopefully, Bentaleb will become that. So, are you seeing a change in formation for you then? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the three in midfield kind of has worked before. And then I, I would go 4-3-3. That's what, that's what I, I think, you know against some of the lesser teams is a is a better formation with potentially, you know, uh, looking at going back to sort of not necessarily wing-backs, just having somebody who's, you know, advanced full-backs. But, you know, as I said, we know, we know how Steve Bruce plays. We know we probably won't do that. But that's... So into the fifth round of the FA Cup then, plenty of celebrations in the weekend, including one gentleman who got it overly excited. But yeah. look, <laughs> we're in the fifth round of the FA Cup. It wasn't pretty, it hasn't been pretty the whole, you know, run through here. Um, but into the, the fifth round against West Brom, we're going to be going for Premier League promotion. So there's a good chance there. Newcastle uh, pick up a few more points than the focus can be on on getting as far as possible. What impact can that have on on the fan base and on on the players? Well, I mean, you saw last night. You know, you mentioned the guy, the gentleman, um, and his gentleman. And um, I think you know. But in all seriousness, what an away end it was. You could hear it on loud and clear on the telly. 52,000 came to the first game up here. There's a huge enthusiasm for this competition in Newcastle. And, and I think part of the reason why there's been such a, you know, a, an amount of, 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 you know, antipathy towards the regime, there's you know, a, a fair chunk of that is because of the, their attitude to the FA Cup for so long. Um, you know, it came from the top. That they were that it wasn't a competition that they would necessarily take seriously if they were um, if they were safe. Well, they've, they've changed that, and I, and I and I genuinely think that it would it would be um, massive if they got if they got any further than this. I spoke to a director at West Brom this morning um, who told me they're going to go half and half with the team, so they will make changes. It's a midweek. It's obviously it's a midweek, which is key because West Brom will have two important league games either side of it Newcastle will as well but West Brom obviously I mean the, the rewards for going up are huge um, hopefully Newcastle will have 34 35 points by then um, it'd be great if they had more than that but minimum 35 points by then 
and they can really go for it. You know, I, I think they'll take a massive following. I think they'll sell out that. I mean, it's a great away end actually at West Brom behind the goal. Potentially, they'll get that whole. They get that whole end, I think, probably because of the, the way that the, the allocations work, um, and it will be a massive opportunity for them. They, they could, they they can go there, having and really and really have a go, and it might suit them a little bit better to be playing a, a slightly better team than the ones they've played in the in the last round. Um, but I, I would love to see them get through there, and then you're into a quarter final. I mean, look, the one thing, the one caution is it's not a year where I think when Hull got there. A lot of the big teams have got knocked out by the time they got to the quarterfinals. I think Hull played Sunderland in the quarterfinals, if I remember rightly. Um, and or was, yeah, it was no, the fifth round they played Sunderland, then they got into the quarters, I think it was. Um, and it was, you know, but a lot of the big teams have got, have got knocked out by that stage. Whereas we're looking at the draw now, Spurs playing tonight, but Chelsea are through, Man United are through, Liverpool are through, um, Arsenal are there. Um, most of the big teams are there Man City is still in it as well so it, you know it's not as if there's nothing there but Newcastle on their day they, they'd fancy you know say they get a home say they go past West Brom they get into a home draw in the quarterfinals and, and take even one of the big guns on hit up here I think it'd be a, a terrific atmosphere and they they've proven that they've, they've beaten them well, they've already beaten yeah. Man United Chelsea um, Man City they took points Spurs. off Spurs Spurs they've beaten so yeah, I mean it's it's this this is what we've needed for a while because the league is a bit turgid, the league's a grind, isn't it? The league is a grind. So the FA Cup is is, is there, um, and that West Brom game will be it'll be cracking. I wouldn't have thought it'll be on telly, though we don't know the FA might live stream it or whatever. Um, it'd be good to think that it would be on telly. Most of the games will probably be on telly, um, but uh, if it if it you know even if it's not a humongous chance for Newcastle to get into the quarterfinals. And if it's not, only one place to follow it of live. Course. Right here yeah. on Chronicle yeah, yeah. Live. Yeah, yeah, although plenty of, even though it gave me on telly last night, plenty of people were, were across our coverage, so we thank you for that. Um, just before we get on to Mike Ashley and, and, and any update on a takeover, pleasure to say that our Saved by Robson documentary has been nominated for a Sport Journalism Award. If you haven't heard it, just type in Saved by Robson versus Cancer, the final fight into Google. Uh, if you want to hear Lee Ryder and Kieran Kelly's reaction from last night, you can find that on our podcast channel. And Mark, is, as well, has been nominated for a Sport Journalism Award. Uh, so, congratulations on Thank that. Thank you very much. Congratulations to you too. Some tough competition in that one. Mike Ashley then took in the game last night. Keith Bishop was there as well. Um, would he have been happy with what he, what he saw? Yes, Newcastle won, but what do you, what do you think um, he would have made of it? I don't think Mike Ashley knows much about football, so I would think he'd be happy that they won. Um, and he wants them to be in the Cup, doesn't he? I think... I think he's always said he wanted to be a fan, doesn't he? So I think he'd love that idea of being in a cup semi-final, a cup final and sort of being able to do that. But it's so much water's passed under the bridge that he'll never get that experience that he would have done if he'd have, you know, not antagonised the fan base for the past 10 years in the way that he has. Um, but I think he would, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I think he probably would be quite happy with, with what he's seen. He wanted them to... Or he said he wanted them to go for the cup, and I think I think you know you'll see that in Steve Bruce. They'll be feeling the hierarchy will be feeling like take away the noise and you know the Steve Bruce appointment, which was a safety a safety first sort of thought. You know we will bring in somebody with experience who can get us get us you know get us to into mid table. Obviously they wanted more than that, um, but to get us into mid table, and so I think they'll be I think he'd be relatively happy. Yeah. Um, it's always difficult talking about Mike Ashley, isn't it? After the game, 
Steve Bruce was asked by the he was given he was given a hospital pass by the BBC um, uh, the BBC sort of touchline reporter because she asked him you were nodding at the end up into the director's box were you nodding at Mike Ashley as if to say well and I thought he handled it quite well because Alan Pardew went for that one hook line and sinker when they beat Chelsea and he gave it the old this is for Mike thing Steve Bruce has to have a cordial relationship with Mike Ashley because he's his boss. Um, and he wants to get he wants to get stuff out of him, but he also probably knows that if he says anything too positive about Mark Ashley in front of the fan base, because he's not very popular, um, it will be used as a stick to beat him. So he handled that one quite well because he just said, "Oh no, no, no! It was my um, it was my lad. It was up in there, and I was just saying hello to him." So um, yeah, Mark Ashley's a difficult one, isn't he? Because when he goes to the game, we say when he's not there, shows how divorced he is from the reality of it. When he is there, we're like, "What? What is he doing there?" Um, and that is that is the dilemma with Mike Ashley at the football club, isn't it? Significant that he was back so close, or uh, so soon after the news of this proposed takeover. We've seen it when Kenyon was linked; he, he turned up. Yeah, significant I, for you. Yeah, I think it, I think in its own way it was significant. Yeah, because I know for a fact from when we when we were doing the Kenyon stuff last year that he reappeared at Chelsea around the time at which he took the he'd taken the view then. This is never going to happen, so I'm, you know, I'm going to go and sort of show my support for the, for the club. That was his thinking. I'm not saying that was how I felt, saw it, but that was what he was thinking. He, he came back into the club at that point. He'd not done any games before then, while the Kenyan thing was all going on. And of course, last season, I think he did believe that Kenyan was going to come up with an offer and he was going to, you know, at least get round the table with him. But that never, that never materialised. So, my feeling would be if he was about to sell the club imminently. Would he have been at Oxford? Now, I know it's just around the corner from where he works, but um, no, I don't think he would have been. I think he would have been. If, if, if Let's put it this way. If they were in the final throes of a takeover, um, I think he probably have thought, I'll give this one a miss. But it doesn't feel like that is the situation. Um, just before we dive in and finish off with some questions from our listeners... Um, just your latest kind of understanding, latest take on 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 the takeover. I've been quiet the past yeah. few days. Well, not much different from last week where we were when we did the podcast. There, hundred um, percent, there is um, interest from this Stavely Consortium. I think you've spoken to a source uh, uh, to the Ruben brothers, haven't you? And, yeah, and had it confirmed. So they're they're involved. So it was you know common uh, a week ago, yeah. um, and now it's they are involved. So I, I think for me that what the important bit was it wasn't past tense. They were involved. It is they are involved. Yeah. So nothing more other than that. Yeah. But but the, but that but that is significant. I think in a in, in its own way as well because you know that that's you know that the, the Ruben brothers are fantastically wealthy and would be exciting to have them involved in Newcastle United uh, as part of a Stavely consortium. Now my concern if I'm going to go the other way, is that is Saudi Arabia. Because, you know, that for me was the, that's the game changer if Saudi Arabia are involved. Now, the further and further we've got away from the initial burst, the less and less clarity there is about Saudi Arabia's involvement. I personally have not been able to, to, to have it confirmed the PIF are involved. Now, people within the bid consortium are adamant that they are involved but I want some independent verification and I haven't got it yet and that is where the question marks 
around from the people who doubt this deal, that's where the question marks are coming. And that's where, uh, <clears throat> sorry, that's where I think if it, it lives or dies on that. I mean, it's curious as well, you know, the Rubin brothers are the second wealthiest family in the United Kingdom, yeah. so they're not short of a bob or two. So, you, I mean, obviously we don't know what their, what their uh, intentions are, but you, some people would say, well, why aren't they just leading the consortium? You know, if, if they want to be involved, you have the, the wealth there, you own the race course, you own various plots here, here in the city already. Got well, that's, the, that's a curious question, isn't it? Because, you know, you'd feel like if they wanted to get involved in football, then this is their chance. And Amanda Stavey's obviously convinced them to get involved. I would assume that basically they don't want to be, they don't want to be liable for the full amount. I, I just think they obviously don't want to put that, that kind of money on the table to buy the football club, possibly. You know, they might have the money to do it, but that doesn't mean they necessarily want to get involved. Um, and they probably want another partner on, on board as well. And that's why Saudi Arabia is the interesting thing about this. Um, and that's why it troubles me that set the longer, further and further we get away from it, the less and less clarity we've got about Saudi Arabia. Um, there's a lot of people with knowledge of Saudi Arabia saying, you know, or there's some people in, in particular who are saying it's just not coming on the radar over there, which is, you know, which is a really... That that's that's where I am looking now, and that's what I'm trying to ascertain. That's that's my kind of next step because we've got it from Rubens that they're definitely involved. We know Stavely's involved. We know from the Newcastle end that they're definitely that or from the Ashley end that they are in talks. So those three pits of the jigsaw are there. Saudi Arabia is the game changer. Saudi Arabia for me is the one to look at. So I'm not saying in this podcast that it's not going to happen. I'm not saying that it is going to happen. I'm just saying that my position last week, which is that I'm cautious, but know that there's something going on, um, is is the same. But Mike Ashley last night being there suggests an element of nothing's going to happen anytime soon. And but we, but I knew that, you know, I I felt like, and and I'm sorry, but you know, people getting excited about the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times writing it, but and I'm not having to go at the journalists; they're they're involved. But how much do they know about Newcastle United takeover, and how much do they have they been here ten years to tell you how these things play out, and why? Why were people writing two weeks ago? It could happen by Tuesday. It could happen in days, weeks. <laughs> like, but 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 because they've got the cachet of being the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times, everybody was coming to us and saying, "Well, they would know better than the Chronicle because all you do is hamstrings and um, five things and fan galleries." Yeah, right. but we but we put it in we put it in the context of what's happened before. That's why I'm sitting here saying, said last week, I'm cautious mm. because I've been here before and I got excited about other takeover bids, um, and 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 I am not, I, I'm I'm not a, I'm not going to get carried away by it just yet. So I think let's I'll keep working on trying to get this Saudi Arabia thing um, bottomed out. Um, I know Lee's got great contacts. Lee's saying the same thing. <coughs> At the moment, there's no, there's no sort of firm kind of. I think he, he said offer, didn't he? I think yeah. You know, so a lot of debate I mean, about offer. This or is beard one of the questions or, that that's come in, and uh, Lee actually responded to this last week after the deadline uh, podcast. So you can you can head on Twitter and find out what he said. But essentially, people asking or people claim that Lee said there was a bid. Lee, Lee's never said that. Um, the tweet that was brought up said deal um, hasn't been agreed 
um, but it is on the table. There's no mention of a bid, and I think the important thing is there's it. People don't like it, but there is a difference between um, a deal and a bid. Yeah. And, you know, well, we're getting into the the problem with yeah. last summer, aren't we? As well, when um, you had a situation where the, the Binzaya Group agreed head of terms with Mike Ashley at that point. So at that point, have they had a bid accepted, or is it not a bid accepted? Because it's bid accepted. So and then Ashley went to the, in the Daily Mail and said, "I have had no bids." Bin Zayed say, well, we've had a bin accepted because we've had the head of terms of agreed a price. So who's, where do you, who, whose version of it is correct? Fine margin. Yeah, well, Stavely last time, I think showed George Culkin, didn't she, three bids. So he was in the office. He says he saw them. Um, and then Ashley was saying, she's a waste of time. So that's the problem with this this whole process, isn't it? So I haven't got enough information to tell you whether there's a, bid and offer accepted all I know is that it feels to me I would probably say there's a a proposal is being discussed if it was if the money was in the bank and it met Mike Ashley's terms I think we'd have probably heard about it by now mm. but then there's the Mike Ashley factor as wasn't there like there are rumours that he sometimes changes the goalposts at the last minute maybe we're in that situation or maybe we're in the situation where because Saudi Arabia are or aren't involved or however they're involved the money isn't in her account yet to be able to do that I don't know and I'm happy to say I don't have the information at the moment but that's the critical point and that's why going back to what I said last week it was so frustrating that this was leaked at a stage at which it was fairly preliminary even though there'd been a lot of talks because now we're in an information vacuum and everybody's getting upset Everybody's getting angry about it. Everybody's accusing everybody else of not knowing anything about it. And we're just playing a waiting game. Mm. But I think my advice would be not to assume it's not happening, but to work on the basis that we all want a pleasant surprise. But I don't think at the moment anything's imminent. I'll probably walk out of this podcast and it'll be done. (laughs) Uh, But I don't think anything's imminent. And it may be a few weeks or... And maybe a few weeks before this, before it all shakes out. Just a couple more questions, but I also point out that people love the fan gallery as well. People loved it for yeah, last night. Fan gallery is fantastic, you know, and 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 yeah, and we've had we've had debates about the coverage, haven't we? Like in the last few days as well. My message we get for fan galleries, people love them. Yeah. Um. So for as Ahmed basically just asks um, about Mike Ashley being there last night. Um, was he just there as a spectator? What I mean, we kind of covered it, but what do you think he would have made of the chance? Because they were they were loud. He would have heard them. Maybe given a little smile. Again, is it a case that Mike Ashley's just got broad shoulders? He, he doesn't. He knows how the the majority yeah. of fans feel about him. Well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because um, how does he feel? I, I really couldn't tell you. I've never had any dealings with him, and I think that's part of the problem is that he's never engaged locally has he? he's never engaged locally and, and that is a big big problem now I would suggest that if he's not concerned about it then that's a problem because you're the owner of the football club and 2,000 of the most passionate fans in the fan base are calling for you to go that is that is hugely problematic for me he should be bothered about it and if he's not bothered about it and he doesn't think that that represents a problem for Newcastle United that's part of the problem and I think sometimes he has written it off as, oh well, you know they don't they don't maybe know how Newcastle works, but I think that's the problem. They haven't necessarily learned from the 
mistakes that they've made. So I hope he, I hope he did hear it, and I hope he does think, reflect on what he's what he's done and to, to bring them to that position. Because if he's shown a bit more humility, hey, look, billionaires don't probably don't show much humility. I don't know. I'm not a billionaire. Um, I've never really spoken to any. I spoke to Richard Branson once. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. But I've never really spoken to many billionaires. But I just think he's not involved enough day to day um, to really see it. He's heard it all before, hasn't he? And he probably just thinks, well, it is what it is. Um, but those are passionate. Those are very loyal fans last night. Not just the fella getting his, uh, getting his, those are very, very passionate fans last night because the majority of them, maybe some of them are London based, uh, but, but there'll be a fair few who've made a five mile trip and probably coming back the same night because they've got work today. Sing their hearts out. Some would have missed their trains as well, sticking yeah, there till the end. You know what? I'm, I, and that's the problem, isn't it? Like those are the fans that you should, you should have on board. Mm. And, you know, that is a problem. The fans aren't wrong. You know, I know we say on this podcast quite a lot that, like, we don't necessarily always agree on stuff. But the fans overall, they're the ones who were here from before Mike Ashley was here. Mm. They'll be here after they've gone. You know, when me and you maybe change jobs, they'll still be here. So who am I to say that they're wrong? They're not. They're our readers. They're, you know, they're the voice of the club. Um, They should be... It should be a problem for the football club. They shouldn't want that to happen. And I'm sure they don't. I'm sure and they on don't. national TV as well. Sure they don't. Um, final question then from Anders Glasgow. I hope I've pronounced your surname right there. Um, he wonders why everything at Newcastle United is so snail-paced from, in his view, transfers, communication and, and the takeover. Is that is that a, a fair question? Is that a fair question? Um, yeah, I think I think I think it's fair to say that in the past they have, you know, things have progressed slightly slower. And um, the long staff thing they've had a long time to do. You know, I think when when Benitez was here, the problem was that there was two very different agendas at the football club. So it made things incredibly difficult to um made things incredibly difficult to 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 deal with because maybe there'd be one side wanting something totally different from the other and what they were trying to do was bring the two sides a little bit closer together so they could actually do stuff. That that's not the case this season, you know. <clears throat> they moved quite quickly in the transfer window. They they weren't, you know, they got three players in. They did okay in the transfer window. Not not brilliant, but not not just certainly not terribly. So it did move a bit quicker there. Longstaff, there's something going on there, isn't there? Um, I think probably his brother not getting the terms that he wants is is maybe they're both represented by the same guy. Might have an impact, but that should be done. Communication-wise, they are making. Yeah, I think I said last week, didn't I? That they are. There are little things going on behind the scenes. I, I will stick up for them. That you know, they said to us, "We're going to communicate with you better." Well, you know, we have had um, a, a better access in terms of you know Lee Charney obviously spoke to Lee Ryder uh, a couple of times this season, um, and you know they will they will give us you know they will give us bits and pieces here and there. Um, it's probably not where we would want it to be, but I'm sure club would. You know, not want us to give us everything, but but they have been better, and there are some really good things going on in the community section. Um, the club seem to be, you know, there is some investment going into the stadium. Obviously, I mean, it's the, the little things there, um, but slow. I understand from a fan's perspective, you know, and I think if you had a new owner who had deeper pockets, 
a lot of these things would just be turbocharged and it would change overnight and we'd see a different football club and we'd feel very differently about it. Um, but we're at 30, well, 12, 13 years into Mike Ashley now and unfortunately it is in the state it's in and changes will be kind of incremental, um, which is part of the problem, isn't it? You know, it needs a fresh start. It needs a new owner, um, in my opinion, to get there. But I think they are making changes and I think the club will get better under this current ownership and under sorry under under the, the with the changes that people are making there's some good people at the football club i promise you that there really are there's some good people there um who, who are trying to to make changes and are making changes it's not all negative um but it needs a new owner to really kick it on in my opinion so yeah i, I think they are moving a little bit quicker than they were last year because th- things were glacial last year and that did that that did frustrate me you know, I mean, look how long it took them to come to a resolution over Benitez's future. That was, you know, left to the very last moment because of the two parties and the way they were. So, yeah, and the takeover thing, I mean, in terms of it's glacial, um, good question. It depends on who you ask. But a lot of people would say Mike Ashley is not easy to deal with. And I think that's tr- that's true. Well, there you have it. When Mark came in 52 minutes ago, he said, I'm going to make this last 20 minutes. Always do, don't I? But I do hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please remember to like and subscribe. And look out for a few special episodes over the next week, including a Gibbo's Corner and a chat with our in-house photographers about covering uh, football games home and away and how they capture uh, the moments you see online and in or on the back of our newspaper. Once again, thank you very much for listening.